Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, the 15th of July. We are here live. It is a freaky free-for-all Friday. I think I'm on my own today. You know, we've had a great run. John and Joel have been available almost every week, Uh, but both of them are busy today. I know John can't make it at all. Joel said he might get out of an appointment in time to join us. Uh, We'll see. I really don't have a lot today. I don't have any big theme. I have kind of some odds and ends stuff I'm looking at that I didn't get to uh, on the other days. But uh, today's really going to be all about you. So pick up the phone and join me. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, today's the day. If you dial right now, I promise you'll get through. 855-950-3835. We'll be here for the next hour or until we run out of questions. So it's up to you. Pick up the phone and join me. So there is a lot going on around the industry right now. Just again, not a big theme, but some odds and ends we can talk about. Uh, AB5 is going into effect in California, which in reality will eliminate owner operators being leased to California or being leased to carriers in California. That will no longer be a legal arrangement. So if you want to be a single truck owner operator in California, you're going to have to become a carrier. You're going to have to get your own authority and then you could still get your loads from brokerage, uh, the brokerage side of many trucking companies. So, you know, in one sense, it is a big change. It really is. You know, people who haven't operated their authority and have been um, leased to a carrier, there's a bunch of new stuff you have to deal with. You have to deal with drug testing consortiums and DOT safety audits and um, collecting your money, um, your accounting changes. It's it's a fairly significant change. Got to go apply for the authority. You got to pay for it. Your insurance the insurance may just price most people out of the market. You know, that's the one thing a lot of people are ignoring. The people who are in favor of this law that I've talked to, their answer is, well, let's just let them go get their own authority. Uh, Okay, watch their insurance costs go up 10 times what they're paying right now. And many of them, it will just price them right out of the market. So yes, we are going to lose, I believe, a significant number of owner-operators in California to this. I'm not really sure what's going on in California. Uh, On top of this, uh, oh, by the way, um, one of the things we've been talking about for about a year now, last year around this time, we started talking about Christmas already and the ports and the supply chain issues. And so we've been dealing with this for a year. From what I understand, there's still a bunch of freight not getting through the West Coast ports. And because of AB5, the the owner operators who work in the ports are protesting. They don't want to be employees. They want to be owner operators. They like the way they're working. I just don't understand this, why we we can't allow people to work this way. We've done it forever since the beginning of time, and it works. So 
Now we have the port protests, which are going to slow things down even more. We could lose enough owner-operators that the ports are going to be affected by that alone. Now, some of them may become company drivers. Some may go do something else. Who knows? Uh, But it's clearly a disruption where we already have disruptions. And then uh, I just saw, I saw it and then Matt sent it to me. Um, California just raised their IFTA tax to 85 cents. I believe they're now the highest, right? Um, I think Pennsylvania was higher. California, I think they were at 72 or I think Pennsylvania was higher, 76 and a half maybe. Uh, Now California is 85 cents a gallon for IFTA. They already have expensive fuel out there. This makes it even worse. Um, You know, I think the trucking industry should just start boycotting California. Uh, It much of what they've done um, really seems to run afoul of the interstate commerce clause and the FAA rules about not states, you know, creating laws and regulations that interfere with the flow of goods across state lines. But nobody seems to be doing anything about that. So um, I, I just think, and I don't think it needs to be any kind of big formal protest or anything. I just think you're going to see more and more people Owner-operators avoid California. Why deal with all the hassles? It's such a mess out there. And now it's getting worse. Um, Speaking of which, I'm going to get just a little political for just a couple minutes. Then I'm going to get to the calls. I had a bunch of stuff, but I did say today was about your calls. So um, they're starting to come in. Uh, Right after this point, I'll jump into the calls. Um, If I get a chance or we run out of calls, I'll come back to some of my notes. Um, Just think about this. Um, oh, Matt says California has been the highest for a few years now. Okay. I think I was confused then. I thought before this rate um, hike, this one, Pennsylvania was higher. But either way, they're both outrageously high. And f- for California, it's even worse because um, their fuel is more expensive for a lot of reasons, mostly because of all their crazy um, regulations. This is just going to make that worse. So look at what, here's the other thing I don't understand. I keep hearing them brag about what an awesome job Newsom has done with the budget in California and that they have a budget surplus. Well, if that's the case, why are they raising their fuel tax rate at the worst possible time in history? Well, if they have a budget surplus, suck it up. But here's the little political rant. If you like the way California is being run for the last, you know, several years and what's going on right now, um, I actually watched a commercial yesterday that Gavin Newsom is running. For some reason, he's attacking Ron DeSantis, which seems kind of odd. Um, but the only thing I can imagine is he thinks at some point the, they are the two that might be running for president. I, that's certainly possible. Um, DeSantis has a shot of becoming the Republican candidate, no doubt. Um, and when you look at the Democrats, uh, Joe isn't going to make it. Come on. We, he, he's not going to make it through his first term. Um, there's no second term for Joe. I just don't see that happening. When you look at who else is available, uh, they've got a pretty weak lineup. I have a feeling Newsom might make it to the top of that card. Uh, 
and elections have consequences. If you look at what's happening in California, if that's what you want for the rest of the country, well, then I guess Newsom might be your guy. I couldn't imagine what a disaster our country will become um, with thinking like that. So that's it. That's my little political rant. I'm not going to throw out any more out there. Like I said, I have a ton of notes here, some odds and ends, but the calls are really starting to come in. So let's find out what's on your mind today. Let's get started in Nebraska. Keith, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Hey, um, I was wanting to go over some numbers with you for my truck. I'm um, I'm a new owner-operator. I've been doing this since um, uh, November of 2019, and I'm uh, leased to uh, the company up there in Louisville, Kentucky. Got it. Okay. Tell those guys I I said hi. I pull a van. I will. So I pull a van, Trey. Um, I don't know um, if you can see my fuel numbers. I gave Angie all the information in my profit and loss, my business report. Okay. I haven't got that yet. She might be working on sending it over to me. I'll log in and see if I can find it myself. Um, Okay. Let's see. I think you have your Angie put your email in here. All right. Uh, Go ahead with your questions. Okay, so I have a um, a 2015 Bobo. It's a 780, and it's got the D13 engine in it, and it has a I I shift or 12 speed, and it's overdrive. And I also have 308 gears in the rear. Okay. And I've done everything that you guys say to do to the truck and um, everything Joel says to do to the truck. So I've put um, the air dog on it, the fleet air filter, um, air tabs. Um, I do the overhead myself now because it's the only way it gets done right. In fact, out of the two years that I've owned the truck, the last time I ran the overhead is the first time it was actually done right. And I've only done it twice. The first time I thought I did it right, but I didn't do it right. And every time I take it to the shop, they don't do it right either because of the engine brake plungers. Right. So I finally got that right. So Good. my fuel numbers have been steadily coming up since I bought the truck. I don't know if you can scroll down and see where I started, but it was <laughs> in the fives and then sixes were like the best I could do. So, but now I'm up to uh, my best so far is like 9.2. And my 30 day is um, 8.13 with uh, 59 cents. Real quick, do you have your truck name in fuel gauges? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, KMB Kilo Mike Bravo 20367. Okay. Why isn't this coming? Oh, there it is right there. Okay. There's a space. That's why. All right. So I've got, wow, that's an, I love seeing this. This is what, you know, you bought a truck that was really already pretty well specced for fuel economy. It's aerodynamic. You know, it's got good drive line, all that stuff. And yet you've still steadily improved this truck since you have it. If we look at your um, overall lifetime since you started tracking it in here, um, it was 6.82. 
Uh, you know, nothing to get too excited yeah. about. I, it, you're not going to go broke, but it's nothing to get too excited about. Your most current 30-day is 8.13. That's awesome. Congratulations. Right. Yeah, I've been working on it. So what I did in June was, this might sound, um, might horrify some of your listeners, but uh, what I did in June is I went ahead and finally broke down. I've tried portable air conditioning units and all kinds of stuff. To tr- you know, I've spent thousands of dollars to try to keep cool without this truck running. And um, the last one I bought was a zero breeze, and it worked pretty good long as the air was you know the outside temperature didn't go above 80 degrees so but there was plenty of nights and days that i had to run the truck you know all day and that really just kills the fuel mileage so what i did is i spent um a thousand ninety five dollars on a inverter generator propane power put two propane tanks on the back of the truck and cut a hole in the back of my truck and put a window shaker in here now the truck doesn't run at all when I'm parked. Excellent. So that's where my new numbers are coming from. Excellent. Yeah. So no, you, this, yeah, this is awesome. You buy a truck, it's getting reasonably good fuel mileage. You just keep working on it, making those improvements, and you can clearly see it's paying off. Right. So for the first two weeks in June, and uh, I was out till. Um, after I put it in, I was out till June 28th. It was only two weeks. It was a short run. I had some stuff to do at home, right? So I spent $1,095 for the whole, whole nine yards to do this. I saved $921.75 on fuel. <laughs> and minus <laughs> what I paid for propane, minus what I paid for propane on the road, which was 149.66, I profited seven hundred and seventy two dollars and nine cents for that two-week run you know at over five dollars a gallon for fuel and i just did everything at five dollars a gallon and i kept track of all my hours that the air conditioning unit and the generator was running so it's already um july 15th so i'm sure it's already paid for that's and I could probably have enough profit to go out and buy another inverter generator free yeah. and clear, basically, yeah. for the money I'm saving. Yeah. I that's, that's incredible. So, and, and, you know, based on everything I'm seeing, in the past, we've watched fuel spike for reasons like hurricanes and weather and, you know, maybe a refinery went down somewhere. And, you know, they, they stay up for six to eight months, sometimes a little longer, then they always come back down. I mean, we've been really blessed in this country with low fuel prices most of the time. The big spikes we've had haven't lasted that long. Um, I think that's over. I, I don't think based on every I, now you know politics can change things if we get you know a new admin um, administration and they may change some things here um, we'll see but for the most part based on what's going on in the world right now i think these high fuel prices are here to stay so th- this kind right. of investment is the best you can possibly make right so my basic question is i don't know if you can see my business report or not but it's uh, my numbers. Well, I knew June wasn't going to look good because I spent, you know, a little over a thousand dollars on uh, air conditioning and 
uh, stuff like that. And I was only out for two weeks and only made gross 8,500 bucks for two weeks. So, you know, it wasn't really a good, good solid month. So my cost went from a dollar 20 a mile to a dollar 31, which I know is going to come down at the end of July. And my profit was at a dollar one, but now it's down to 88 cents. And I've spent a lot of money on this truck. Um, so like last year in September, I spent $25,000 on it for a turbo, DPF, um, seventh injector, and the uh, controller that controls the injector, and uh, eight brand new, brand new virgin uh, tires for the rear. Okay. So yeah, that it, it, it was that was a big cost and right. But that's a short term. Yeah, it's a short term hit that will your numbers will get better and better every month because the farther away you get from that, the better your numbers will look. So honestly, I think you are in a really good position. Your numbers look good. You understand how to make them better and you're doing that. Um, I think you're in great shape. Okay, so my question is, um, I've uh, been in contact with the dealer and everything. And um, I've taken pictures of my rear axle. I can get a 247 gear in the rear, which um, back when um, the trucking truck first started, when you went off of um, wherever it was at on Facebook, but um, when you got your own app, yeah, um, I asked Joel about putting the 247s in, and he came back and told me what I needed to do to the truck. Now, the truck's all done. I did everything he said to do to the transmission and everything, had all that done. And um, he said he got stellar results, but I don't know what stellar results are. (laughs) You know what I mean? So here's what it, uh, so I took the pictures of the rear. He um, sent them up to this guy that does um, remanufactured. You just buy the whole unit and swap them out, right? Okay. Um, and it cost me right at six thousand dollars for the two rear axles. Okay, for parts. Now to put them in, I can take it. I can do it myself. It would only cost me, you know, six grand. Um, to take it to my local shop and have them do it, it cost me about eight grand. And to take it to Volvo and have them do it, which you know I know they would do it right because I got a good relationship with this dealer that I deal with, it cost about ten thousand dollars. I'm wondering with the way things are right now, if I should just let it ride and just say the hell with it. Maybe when fuel comes back down, put them in. So, so since Joel's been working with you on this, he would have more information. My one question, and I don't know if Joel's told you this or not, if you do re-gear it, what does he think you're going to gain in fuel economy? Exactly. That's I've never got that question that, to him. Yeah, that and again, he has the he has more information on what you've been dealing with and what he already recommended. I'm pretty sure in his mind, if we just ask him, he'd say, "Yeah, this many tenths." I, I'm gonna say before I even know that number, I have a rough idea in my own head how much that number is gonna be. Uh, I think, in if I were in your situation right now, I would hold off on that. That's that's just too much money to spend okay. right now, and it takes too long to recover it, even with these kind of high fuel prices. We're looking at 
if I just do some quick math in my head, I don't think there's any way we're going to recover that cost in a year. We're not going to get it back in the first 12 months. So, you know, if, when times are really good and we want to make an investment that may take 12 to 18 months to break even, no big deal. But when times are as bad as they might be right now and getting worse, that's, that's the other thing about right now. We don't know where the bottom is. So right. I, I, I until we have a better picture about where the bottom is going to occur and when we think we can start to move out of it, I don't think I would spend that kind of money right now. Right. Yeah. See, that's the thing is I've got, I'm, you know, I went to KR University before I even bought this truck and I did it not the right way. I did it the second way where I financed it. So, but I own it. It's my name on the title and everything. Good, so good, but you know, I put a down payment yeah. on and you know, I got a thousand dollar a month truck payment. So it's not bad. Right. And I've been struggling to, you know, maintain, you know, sevens, high, you know, low sevens to mid sevens. And now yeah. that I'm not idling the truck. I'm seeing numbers, you know, like my best so far is 9.02. And the I other day that. I filled up. Yeah. So I filled up twice on this trip. I got 8.39 and I was upset about that. And I was like, <laughs> well, what are you upset about? You ain't never seen that number in your life. And then the other day I filled up, I got 8.79. Yeah. And it's just like, well, you know, I was just a fluke. And I spent an hour going over all my numbers again to make sure I didn't screw something up to see 9.02. But now everything just must have been in my favor to do it. So Yeah, you've made but, huge um, improvements. <laughs> You're in a good position right now. The little bit that we might gain over time by re-gearing it, and I know it makes it a little more drivable, and there might be even some emission advantages here. We do have to look at those things, but I'm just going to be really cautious right now and say I wouldn't spend that money. Right. I was thinking if I got a half a mile to a gallon better, it probably wouldn't be worth it. But if I could get this truck up to 10 with those gears in it, and I'm only running 60 miles an hour. Yeah, see, I, I don't. And I, so that's like 12.25. I think the half mile per gallon is a stretch. I think it's possible, but I think that's probably the upper limits of what we're going to gain from this. Now, if we gain a half mile per gallon and we know that it's better for our emissions, then it starts to get a little tempting. And like I said, if these were good times, I'd be all over it. I just think that right now, cash in the bank is better than the savings we'd create. Okay, so just keep doing what I'm doing and when everything turns, the fuel drops and well, I don't, rates come back up then, stop, maybe think about it. I, I'm not even sure we had, fuel may never drop again. Really, that that's kind of where I'm at on this. We may never see any significant drop in fuel. Um, rates will go back up eventually. We don't necessarily have to wait till that happens. It's more of waiting until we can see the bottom where we have some clear indicators that, yeah, it's been bad, it's been rough, but here's why it should start turning around. We, you know, if we pay attention to things and we watch this and we learn enough, we can see what's coming. 
you know, we can use the data to kind of see around the corner. And once I can see what's happening and, and have a, a rough idea, he can't guarantee anything. I'm willing to make some decisions then. But right now, not being able to see anything about where we're going, not knowing where the bottom's going to be or when this might turn around, I, I'm just going to be a little more cautious and hold on to cash. Right. Okay. So that's what I was wondering and whether, you know, when he said he got, he knew somebody that did it that got stellar results, you know, that doesn't really tell me anything. No, we need hard numbers. And and my guess is that hard number is not going to be more than a half mile per gallon. Right. Okay. So. And I I would say that I, I, I consider a half mile per gallon increase stellar results. There aren't many things you can do right. to get a solid half mile to the gallon. So I, I believe him. And I think if he says stellar, uh, yeah, I would consider a half mile per gallon increase stellar, really good results, but I wouldn't consider right. it enough to make that investment right now. I would just hold off a little longer. Right. And my situation is I don't have a garage. I'd be doing this in my driveway. So the chances of me actually getting underneath there and messing with those uh, third members, pulling them out by myself and stuff. Or right. I can pretty much guarantee it's slim and none because I'm just not as young as I used to be. And no, I'm I not going to bench press that I, thing off my chest or anything like that. Well, so I'll probably just pay somebody to do it, you know, yeah, and, and then, also, you know, costs go up. Yeah. And it's also one of those jobs that could, you could estimate that it's going to be this many hours and it only takes a couple things to go wrong and your time doubles. And yeah, I, I would, uh, I'd let the shop do this one. All right, we're going to head off to California. Luigi, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Good. Hey, I want to thank you for your uh, Stop Holding the Steering Wheel program. Yeah. We purchased it a while back, and uh, we were just going to jump in and buy a truck. And I said, you know what, let's do this for Kevin's program. And it opened our eyes to our situation, and we decided not to buy a truck. Good. Just a company driver. Good. Well, then that's when all this diesel, all the prices went up, and, you know, trucking just getting ugly. I think uh, your program actually saved us from possibly crashing our business before it got off the ground. Well, well, it opened our eyes. I just want to thank you for that. And you're you're welcome. You know, you're welcome. Thank you for supporting us and buying it, reading it. And, you know, here's the thing I've said many times. I love absolutely love when somebody calls me and says, look, I I took the time. I read your program. I followed it. I I finally got my truck. Took me a year. I'm successful. Everything's I love those calls. But I, I love this call just as much, sometimes even more. You know, it's one thing I'm happy when somebody makes these decisions and they succeed and and it's going well, but I'm also really happy when somebody avoids what could have been a disaster. I think we succeeded in that way, actually, by just waiting. Yes. And now I know how to work. I'll know when the time is better. On the other hand, so thank you for that. Uh, my wife took her first trip with me in the truck for a week, and she came up with the question I couldn't answer was, why are there more red trucks on the road than any other color? <laughs> well, first off, I uh, said, I don't know. Maybe this is one Kevin can handle. I've never heard this. Okay. So first off, 
are we positive there are more red trucks or was that only your anecdotal <laughs> experience? It seems like it. Well, that's what I mean. That's, it, <laughs> that's what we call an anecdotal experience. It's what I see every right? day that becomes my reality. Let me give you an example. When, <laughs> when I first started on the radio, I used to get all kinds of people calling in and challenging just about everything I said. Oh, you, that's bullshit. You're wrong. You're, people don't do that much anymore. Honestly, if I come on the radio and I talk about something, I'm not always right. I don't think that. My way isn't the only way, but I can tell you this. If I come on the air and talk about something, I've done some research and I have some data to back things up and I've thought it through and I've formed opinions and they're not likely to be completely wrong. They might be. Once in a while, I'll get something really wrong, but most of the time... And sometimes there isn't absolute right and wrong in this anyway. But people used to challenge me a lot more than they do now. And, you know, that was one of the things that really, when somebody would challenge me, I would go back and double down and do three times more research just to make sure I was right. So we're going to have to stop counting colors of trucks and run spreadsheets and yeah, All so that kind of fun stuff, to, huh? to finish up that thought, <laughs> people would, and back then I had trucks at FedEx. So somebody would call me and challenge me on something and, you know, I'd kind of prove that, no, look, this is right. Here are the numbers. Here's the proof. Then they'd want to just fight about anything. And they'd be like, oh, well, you have trucks leased to FedEx and they're always crashed in the ditch. Okay, let's talk about that. Um that's your anecdotal evidence because when you drive down the road, you see FedEx doubles in the ditch a lot in the wintertime. You do. I, I'm not going to dispute that. I see it when I'm out on the road too. You also see UPS, yellow, because first off, doubles right, are a lot right. more difficult to drive in bad weather. But here's the real reason. And we can take that anecdotal evidence and say, wait a minute, we see those doubles in the ditch all winter long. Yeah, you do. But let's go look at the real data. It exists. We don't have to guess. The, the three companies I just mentioned where you see their doubles in the ditch all the time have some of the best safety records in trucking. When you look at the percentage, one of the reasons right, you see right. all their trucks in the ditch so much is because they have so many damn trucks. That's all it right. is. Right, okay, so, okay. So here's anecdotal. You're driving around. You're, and first off, I want to congratulate her on just being that observant. That she's paying attention to things like that and thinking. <laughs> and I happen to drive a red truck as well. Yeah. So, or in a red truck. Yeah. So maybe there are more red trucks. I don't know. I'm sure we could probably find some data to tell us. Um, the next time she comes out, I'll have her start counting and uh, <laughs> picking colors and... Yeah. Uh, we'll come um, up with some, some solid numbers so we can so, have a scientific answer. Yeah, so that'd be the first thing. Before we try to answer the question, why are there more red trucks, we better make sure there are more red trucks. I don't know that there is. <laughs> right on. I just thought it was an interesting question if, I'd never heard. So if, somebody, if somebody would have asked me what are the, what color is our most trucks in the country? What's the single most popular color for Class A trucks in the country? I would probably answer white. Huh. 
But you know what? You don't notice. You you don't <laughs> notice white trucks. Right. They true, just kind of they just kind of blend into the scenery. You don't really notice them. Ah. Uh. This is getting deeper than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure if I'm right or not. But she comes it, out, she's if, got some work to do. If I had to guess, I would probably say white would be the most popular color. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I love this new format, too, man. I, this is, Me too. You've done a great thing here, switching everything you did. Me too. It's awesome. I, I love my end of it. I love doing the show so much more now. I get excited about the show more now than I do. I love not having breaks and commercials. Um, and the user experience oh, now. No commercials and- uh, are you using our app, by the way? Yes, I love it. It's great. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, the user experience now. The yeah. app is, is so much better. You can listen to any show you want any time now. They never go away. So, yep. yeah, we're excited, and we're, we're just getting started. We have a lot more coming. Good. You and your team keep it up. I'm sure there's a lot of other drivers that are appreciating it now. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll do our homework on the red and white truck. Excellent. I, I'll wait to hear back from you. Sounds like fun. That's a good topic for Freaky Fridays, that kind of stuff. Let's go to Georgia. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, good morning. What's on your mind today? Um, you, well, you said it's Freaky Friday, so uh, Antarctica or what ends up in my toilet? <laughs> uh, are those the two topics I get to pick from? Yeah. I want to talk about both, so... Let's get started. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, in your nutritional, um, you know, therapy um, courses, and, and was there um, um, any information on, you know, uh, that I, I've been doing, having a good run, you know, nice, nice, solid, long tubes, uh, darker in color, more, plenty of moisture, you know. <laughs> but so lately, though, it's almost like like a hand grenade blew up, or or. Remember the old gravy train dog for extra large dogs? Those those big yeah. pieces, you know. You know but, here's the thing about digestion. But how, the same. Yeah. How, how yeah. long has it been going on? A week. Yeah, I'd I'd give it some time. You know, there there are. Yeah. Okay. Even when we have you know near perfect digestion, which was it's kind of where I would put myself. My digestion is so good right now. It's incredible. I've been saying that for a couple of years. Took me a couple of years to get it there. You know, I kept saying, oh, I got it. And then yeah. I go, oh, no, it's, you know, I got to go back and try again. Now I've got it. And, you know, the whole argument about, you know, we need fiber to make things work right. Right. I, I am eating so little fiber right now. It's crazy. I mean, I, I'm pretty okay, heavy carnivore right now. Not even though the garden's growing, and that's going to change in a little bit. Starting to harvest some things out of the garden now, so I'll I'll shift my um, diet throughout the summer. There will be a lot more plants, but it's been you know since last summer pretty much that I've been eating more and more carnivore, and honestly, the more carnivore I eat. Um, the better my digestion gets. And there's like almost no fiber in my diet right now. So, um, but I will still have this happen. 
The same kind of thing will happen out of the blue. It could be a little bit of bacteria. Yeah. You picked up on some food somewhere. Uh, you know, it, these kind of okay. temporary changes, I don't get too crazy about. Now, if something like this lasts more than about two weeks, then I might start looking for some sort of solution. One of the things you might want to yeah, okay. try when you short term, we don't want to do this too much, but if you're dealing with, you know, looser stools and things like that, you might want to try a little bit of activated charcoal. No, I don't, I don't have anything like that. And then I had a perfect one yesterday. So it's just like, okay, I just was, uh, yeah, it, your it, thoughts on it. It, it, it can change. You know, I, I every now and okay. then I, I'll get, you know, an overload of magnesium because I'm, you know, I, I might be doing, you know, two uh, servings of the Cardio Miracle every day. I'm pretty consistent with that now. Some days I end up with two to three, sometimes even four capsules of light balance. And then if I've had, you know, a, a, a real physical day in the garden and working out and I'm a little sore, I might do a uh, magnesium bath. And at some point, you kind of yeah, overload with magnesium, which can mess with your digestion. Oh, oh okay. But not in the way I'm describing? Or yeah, sometimes. Does it cause more of a looser one? Or no? Sometimes or it, 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 it tends to loosen oh, okay. it up some, but digestion right. can just be weird. When we have short-term anomalies, I don't okay. get too worried about it. Yeah. And what about like if, she, if more... I'm not, we were never really big on cheese, but lately, you know, we've made a couple of things and more and more, a little more cheese. And then plus the yogurt, you don't think dairy. Uh, oh, dairy, dairy can definitely mess with digestion. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I might cut back on the, the cheese items. Maybe. Yeah. That remember we, almost uh, all of the cheese you're like eating. Well, uh, no, I, I can almost guarantee all of the cheese you're eating is a one protein. Right, right. And it okay. is the A1 protein right. that can mess with your digestion more. <clears throat> yeah, okay. I'm that one. Uh, so, in Antarctica, I didn't know that, or I've been, you know, hearing that, listen to a show, and, and I don't mean to get all, like, flat earthy, but I never really considered that uh, there's land beyond the ice, possibly, and then, then they restrict, how do we know, though, if they're restricting, like, us to go over there or you know I, then I started sources they're just protecting you know because the government wants to you know back themselves up and we, we really have a whole bunch of um, resources that we can get one day and you know and then the treaty they signed all the world to not go over there or you know I didn't even know any of that do you know anything about that I, I know quite a bit about Antarctica. There's not that much to know, really, because we do, we do have a research station that's been down there for decades. We kind of share it, you know, among different groups around the world. So, you know, every country will send a couple people in there. They're scientists. They'll do experiments. We drill through the ice cores all the time. And um, I, I don't really think there's anything. I, we have enough conspiracy oh. theories to worry about. I, I don't think that Antarctica's <laughs> one of them though really okay and and what about the space station wouldn't we film that if it was some wouldn't that be like the most biggest amazing construction ever done to build something in space but we have no videos of it you know uh, you ever thought of that i don't know what you're saying are you saying it doesn't really exist um i, I i'm not saying that i'm just kind of thoughts that i 
Well, for, or another person thinking, you know, I mean, yeah, why is that? You know, well, first off, I'm, I'm going to go back to the red truck thing. I don't know for a fact that there aren't videos. That's the first thing I would have to verify. I don't know. I've never gone to look. Right. I've never thought about I kinda it. I kind of looked. I did. I tried to look and there's none. Well, my first thought there's is, none. My, my first thought is and it, building a space station is pretty damn complicated. Filming it might be really complicated and just <laughs> might not be worth all the effort and cost and complexity and risk and danger and all those things. I don't know. That's just speculation. That's what it says. But right, that's what it I, again, says. we have enough conspiracy theories that that could be true. Lots <laughs> of them are. I mean, look, just about everything I was saying in 2020, I was told was a conspiracy theory, except all of it's true now. So, but I, I again, I, I don't think Antarctica is any big conspiracy theory, and I don't think the space station is either. I'm pretty sure it exists. Yeah. You know, I, and you, you, I never you do thought... know you can see it in the night sky, right? No, I didn't know. Oh, I've seen the space station many times. It's bright enough. You can see it. Wow. You can watch it wow. travel across. Yeah, look it up. Look up how to see the the space station oh, when okay. the conditions are right and it comes over your area. You can see it. Okay. And and we're not flat. We're round. Well, I you know, or I've traveled an awful long know? way and I've never fallen off the edge. Right. And the guy's thought was, you know, uh, you don't fall off an edge of a lake or a river, you know, a lake. So it just land in lakes and land in lakes and land like could go on and on. Oh, but you know, it, but wait a minute, because this is what we do know. If you, if you take yeah. off and you keep traveling East or West or North or South, okay. I don't care which one travel in any one of the four directions, you will eventually come back to where you started. You will? Okay. I was <laughs> That's not hard to prove. I'm pretty sure someone's done it. Okay, okay. Someone has yeah. Lots okay. of people that's, have done that's, it. That's the one right there. Right. You can all travel right. all the way around the globe in any all, direction all and around. come back to where you started. Okay. Yeah, I was you know, that's the one I should have known. Well, here's another way to look at it. If it were flat and just didn't end we would be discovering new land every single day. Yeah, right. Definitely conspiracy theory. Yes. <laughs> Good stuff for a Freaky Friday, though. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Uh, let's go to New York. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. So, wait, so you're telling hey. me the world's not flat? <laughs> what's what's that uh, what's that goofy overnight show that used to follow me when I was on the uh, network? Coast to coast, that got me through a that got me through a UPS peak season. Oh, it used to get me through some <laughs> long nights too, but it was pretty crazy stuff. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we settled that back in like 1492. I mean, or, or whoever it actually supposedly was. He was a little lost. It wasn't India, but, you know, we still call him Indian. Yeah, so. he, here's here's the other thing. And I know these are kind of little clues and you might not 
figure it out. But we absolutely know if you've ever flown or if you've just gone, you know, higher up in elevation on something, we know there's a curvature to the earth. You can see it with your own eyes. And then somebody might say, oh, well, of course, there might be hills. And no, no matter, stand in a circle, look 360 degrees. No matter which way you look, the curve stays the same. It has to be round. You know, I always do that when I'm at the beach. And I was just there a week or so ago. And, and, and I'm always like, well, maybe, maybe you're not really seeing it. Maybe it's because your eyes are round. Or, and I'm like, can somebody give me a 20 foot level or something to hold up? But, <laughs> but anyway, oh, uh, man. before I forget the, uh, the app, I don't know. Uh, as the far from perfect. I know, but, um, I, I'm kind of missing some stuff and, and it didn't work perfect on their app either. Um, can you go back on the live stream, like to the past, or not really? Only I if you were, like, I don't think we have that capability yet. No, I think it may be in the works. Um, I've kind of got almost stepped away from the app the last couple of weeks. I've been working on other stuff. Um, so Aaron is really the best person to ask about the most up-to-date stuff on the app, but I don't think that's possible right now. Okay, I got you. And then the other thing, and this used to happen on Sirius XM app too, you know, you'd be listening live or, or recorded. They had it down pretty good on the recording, but if you were, you know, on the live stream that you were behind and like, you know, I'll be listening. I'll get a phone call. Next thing you know, the whole day's gone by, and it's like, oh, I want to go back to the show, and I, and then it's like, boom, back to the beginning, and you're like, oh shit, where was I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. Uh, like I said, we I, we've got a roadmap for it. There's a lot of great stuff coming. The the features on the listener app will slow down a little bit for now. So we've got it out. It's working good for most people. We're really trying to tweak things where we're finding problems. Uh, and we're working on our side of the equation now, building out um, our hosting apps. And then we've got to build hosting apps for our remote um hosts so um the features on the the listener app will slow down a little bit but we've got a pretty good timeline of stuff that's all coming and we just got to fix a couple bugs first gotcha um i i wasn't even gonna call today i sent sent you an email following up on this zero zero oh, yeah self-stable That's kombucha true. i'm glad <laughs> hey i have a question about that i'm glad you sent that by the way yeah here's what i'm wondering i'm looking at this keto friendly less than one net carb per can but when i look at total carbohydrates it says it's 10 grams and there's nothing to offset that 10 grams so where are they coming up with a net of one yeah, well, but then under sugars, I believe it's only a says zero, one, right? But their sugars aren't I, the only carbohydrates. 
Sugars are just one right. form of carbohydrate. So, okay, I get it. You say it has zero sugar because you fermented it all out. Okay, that's possible. Where are the 10 grams of carbohydrates coming from? And what's your big advantage here? I have other brands that are four or five grams of carbohydrates. Right, right. Um, I guess one yeah, of their advantages the is thing- being shelf stable. That's not all that important to me because really any kombucha is shelf stable. It's not going to go bad. It might build up too much pressure sometimes if it gets hot. But so I'm, I'm just wondering, and this bothers me, when you try to make one claim and it doesn't make sense, it just turns me off to the whole brand. I want somebody to explain to me why they claim one less than one net carb per can and yet total carbohydrates says 10 grams. The only thing I could think, um, because, I mean, if it's not sugar, it'd be complex carbs, which aren't going to be in that. And I think it's sugar alcohol that they didn't, that they didn't break down and list. Well, um, um, but I, I, so the sweeteners are monk fruit. That's not a sugar alcohol. And I see allulose syrup. Is allulose? I think I have some allulose syrup somewhere. I have allulose powder. I don't think that's a... Sh- oh, maybe it is. Is that a sugar alcohol? Um, um, actually, what I'm reading right now is that it says it, it um, resembles fructose. That may be Uh-oh. how they're claiming this. Because fructose doesn't spike our blood sugar. But we also know that added source of fructose is not a good idea. Um, Let's see. Allulose, also known as D-psychose, is considered a rare sugar that is being used as a substitute for sucrose. Um, It occurs naturally in very small quantities in wheat, figs, and raisins. Um, tastes like regular sugar, but only has one-tenth the calories. That may be, it may be the allulose in there that's showing up as carbohydrates, but then they're not counting it as a carbohydrate. They're treating it more like uh, a sugar alcohol. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of this, I don't think. Did you did you see? I didn't know this until I looked at it again today. It does say on the, I believe on the hum label I sent, uh, the hum zero. It does say that all the sugar is is oh, consumed yeah. in the fermentation. Yep, they they put that right in there. It says uh, sugars eliminated during fermentation. Yep. I thought I thought that was interesting. It is. They they ferment it longer. And that makes sense. The longer you leave it fermenting, the more of the sugar will be consumed by the bacteria. Then what they're, I'm sure what they're, when it was done fermenting, it probably tasted like vinegar. And then they add back in the allulose and the monk fruit to get the taste back. You know, maybe it's not a big deal. I don't know. Um, It just seems like kind of gimmicky to me. I don't know. Well, I'm hoping it's not total crap because I bought three hundred dollars worth of it. But <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think it is. Um, I mean, I, I don't. You know, I don't see any real problems with it. I don't know that I'm going to run out and switch and try to find it. Like you said, the a big advantage here is it's easier to get shipped. I'm sure. 
Right, right. It's just a regular Amazon thing. Yeah, so like let, me, thing. let me kind of restate that. If I didn't have easy access to a good brand of kombucha that I liked, then I might ship this in and try it. I'll yeah, tell you that price I'm, was right too. I'm almost I swear I think I'm probably in the kombucha capital of the world here. I mean, kombucha is just right, really, right. really common where I live. So I can find local brands of kombucha all over the place. Yeah, and then I did see the Hum Zero claims two billion units, which which I guess you're saying really isn't that much but it's okay uh two billion for a a kombucha that's not bad okay and then that off-brand one is claiming uh four four billion that one i've i've had before i'm actually sipping one right now they're not bad the lemon lime i'm not not so sure about the blueberry ginger it i get so tired of ginger and kombuchas because (laughs) everybody You know, it just goes nuts with it. Yeah, but, gin- uh, ginger kombucha is a very popular flavor. Yeah. But yeah, what what really made me call is you started talking about fuel prices. And I was like, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> or, or fuel taxes, rather. Yeah. Fuel taxes. I mean, I I live in Pennsylvania, and it, it's, it's wild. I mean, we act like we're New Yorkers. I know. You know easy or something i I was Uh, always shocked with pennsylvania being so high on fuel tax it seemed like an odd thing for that state yeah yeah that's true too yeah yeah Yeah, when you come to when you think about it pennsylvania is not a friendly truck state at all or a truck friendly state at all no, it's the most expensive toll road in the world. It's almost like a dollar a mile if you're paying cash. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. I, and 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 that's crazy. I I got major problems with that. They've been they've been trying like hell to toll a bunch of existing bridges that are not on the toll road in uh, Pennsylvania, including one over a creek, oh. not even a river. <laughs> And uh, they finally got that shut down for good, I think. But hey, here's but Eddie, a but fuel tax. Here's here's ahead. another little trivia piece. Um, Pennsylvania's always been this way. They've always been not very friendly to trucks. There was a time um, you were not allowed to drive doubles in Pennsylvania. Oh wow! Every other state in the country they were legal, but not Pennsylvania. <laughs> Um, when I was growing up, my dad worked for all the LTL companies and they, they did, uh, and I grew up in Ohio, right near Pennsylvania. Um, they did a lot of doubles, LTL, and you got to Pennsylvania with a set of doubles and they had the parking lots there. You had to break your, you had to drop your rear trailer and go with a single and then they'd have to send another truck out to shuttle that trailer across Pennsylvania. Were you allowed to drag the rear dolly at least? You know, I was as I was saying it, I was trying to remember. I was a young kid. I don't remember if you were or not. I would think you. Well, no, I guess they could leave it there in the parking lot. I yeah, I just don't remember that that fact. But I do know they had to break the doubles apart and shuttle them across. Oh. Um. Yeah, I. You know, I don't really have a problem with fuel tax, even if it's high fuel tax. Um, if in theory it, it's the fairest tax there is, that that would be if 
and this is the problem, if it, if the roads were fully and solely funded by fuel tax, it makes perfect sense. I uh, I'd pay two. I will, I will agree with you. Yep. I will agree with you in theory. If we had the system correct, I would prefer taxes like this. Tax me for my use. I, I, I completely agree. If we built the system correctly and you were taxing me for my use, I think those are the best kinds of taxes. Yeah, and then everybody says, oh, well, what about electric? Well, we're giving out subsidies for electric. Just get rid of the subsidies. <laughs> well, here's, uh, here's the know, other thing. Wait, I, I just don't understand when people question things like this. Oh, my God, gasoline and diesel pays for the fuel taxes and electric doesn't have any fuel taxes. What the hell are we going to do? The roads are going to fall apart. We're, no, idiot. They're just going to start charging on the electric side, too. How hard is that? Wait, yeah, we can and, tax and electric I'm, vehicles. We can tax them by the mile. We can yeah. tax them by the kilowatt the, or whatever, the milliwatt. However, we can tax them and we will. I promise you we will. So I don't even know why people bother talking about this like it's some big problem. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I say let them have a free ride for now. Yeah, I, I big guess deal. nobody wants the GPS trackers to you know, be paying, you know, basically paying if so on their Tesla, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. Honestly, I think electricity could probably cost a lot more. Uh, oh, you know, there's no doubt. There is no doubt, especially in the beginning. That's one of the things we're going to see. As they start to roll out a lot of electric vehicles, we're going to see that the cost of electricity is going to go through the roof. It's supply and demand. That's how everything gets priced. You create a lot more demand for electricity, and the cost of it's going to go through the roof. Right. That's all I got today. That's all I need. Good stuff. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, holy cow, do we have a lot of calls. Let's, uh, let's go to Utah. Peter, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. This is Peter. Hey, I got a question. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Hello? Yeah, I got a question. Uh, this is the first time I ever called the talk show host, but, uh, there's a show, it's called Mythbusters, and they did a expensive test on drafting behind trucks. Mm-hmm. I don't have a, tr- I don't do a truck. I uh, drive a car. Okay. But you save quite a significant amount of gas drafting behind a truck. Absolutely. They did a test. Yep. A uh, hundred yards back, you already save 10% on your fuel. 50 yards behind, you save uh, 20%. So, from what I remember on the show. Could be. Yeah. So, it's quite a big savings. And I just drove down. Evans drove through uh, Wyoming on the I-80. Uh-huh. And I haven't seen any truckers draft behind each other, which I'm going, well, at the price of fuel, unless your company's buying it, wouldn't you want to be doing that? No. And then my no. other question is... It, well, no, don't go to the no. next question yet. Let's stick with this one. Why do you think okay. you might not want to do this even if it saves us 20% on fuel? Well, for safety. That's it. Just stop right there. It is outrageously dangerous. 
you okay. will if we started promoting trucks drafting each other at these distances there will be carnage on the highways don't they have that uh app uh convoy app where you can the trucks could talk to each other we're getting there and that's where i was going to go next there is a technology called platooning that there are several companies already working on this there are trucks already out there on the road doing it but it's not mainstream yet there will be we already have the technology where and it's already being used on the road mostly testing right now where the second truck won't even have a driver in it the truck in the back. Right, will be I've fu- heard that on your show. Yeah, the truck in the back will be fully autonomous and will, but it will require a front truck for it to follow. But that may be the right. first mass release of kind of autonomous technology will be in platooning, and you get two big advantages out of this platooning. One, two trucks are moving with only one driver, which lowers the cost, but that second truck does save a lot of fuel because with the technology, you can bring it up really nice and tight and draft safely. But right. allowing a human driver to draft that close with another truck is just a disaster. Now, have you ever heard the term? Even 100 yards or 50 yards back? I, would, well, t- I, I don't wouldn't know. think that'd be that close. Tell me how fast we're going. The, the speeds well, out on the West Coast now are eight, eight, to follow. The, 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 Well, that's the thing. You... I, Telling me or following me 100 yards behind doesn't tell me much of anything. At 30 miles an hour, that's plenty of space. At 80 miles an hour, it's not even close. Okay. So the better way to judge following distance is not by distance, because then you have to bring in speed and do all the calculations. The best way to do following distance is by time. When the vehicle right, in front of me passes a point, how long till I pass that point? That's a better formula to use. Now, have you ever heard the term okay. hypermiler? No. This was real popular the last time fuel got really expensive. I'm not hearing it this time, though. Hypermiling is this kind of challenge to see how much fuel economy you can get out of a car. You know, we kind of do this in trucking, Joel, and, you know, all the people we talk about, but these hypermilers were just like, you know, cars, and they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff to get the most fuel economy they possibly could. You know, when they're coming up to a stop coasting and turning off the car and all kinds of crazy stuff. But one of the other things Uh they were doing was drafting trucks really close. Now, it's slightly safer in a car because a car can stop significantly faster than a truck. But when we're talking about this, you know, high speed, really close, many times the accident occurs before the second vehicle can even touch their brakes. So that braking power doesn't even matter. It's just unsafe. But there, there was this whole big thing for a while, these hypermilers, they were out there doing this kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, that kind of leads to my second question. And, uh, yeah, so okay, I drive a car, and I do draft behind trucks. It's a route I already know because it saves me quite a bit of money, especially if I have a high-profile vehicle like a van or a truck with a camper or something. 
I notice that if I try to oh, pass them, I got to really there's no on doubt. the gas just yeah. to pass them. Right. There is no doubt. Drafting but is a I, very efficient way to save fuel. It's just not very safe. Yeah. Okay. Well, that might answer my second question, which is uh, some truckers get ticked off when I do it. You could tell they start driving erratically. Oh, yeah. They drive oh, the they will. They're to throw rocks in my windshield. Or, yeah. or they'll just slow down. I get it. Okay, I pass them and find a different truck. Look, and I here, just wondered why Well, here, why I'll tell you was. why. I'll tell you why. Here was, here's my, I, I drive, most of my career, I drove less than 60 miles an hour. 57 was kind of my set speed. And the whole point of that was to get better fuel economy. And I can deal with the time. Right. Just manage your time well. It's not an issue. Save a lot of money by driving that slow. But you get a lot of people that run up behind you. And especially in heavy traffic, now they can't get over into the passing lane because there's not an opening and they're right behind you. And that does piss a lot of drivers off. It doesn't bother me okay. all that much. Here, here's why, though. Look, if you want to try that and you end up running into my ICC bumper and killing yourself, that's your problem, not mine. But you're right. also going to cause me a lot of headaches. I'm going to lose time and, okay. and work and days and I got to fill out paperwork. And, and even though I say, if you kill yourself, that's your problem, not mine. I, I'm not going to feel good about that. You know, I don't want somebody to die because yeah. they ran into my vehicle. It, it, I don't get too upset about it though. Cause I can't control it. People are going to do it all day long. So yeah, yeah it, it does okay. piss off drivers. It annoys us. Okay. All right. That's, Fair enough. I always wondered why, because it's like not affecting me. I don't think. Well, let, let's so, think about this. But I, let, let's I don't think drive about really the, close next to the bumper. I let, drive let, fifty to hundred yards back. It's not enough. It's not safe. Fifty <laughs> yards. Fifty yards okay. back. Most of the time, I can't even see you in my mirrors. Right, they can't. Right, you've you've disappeared. I, drive, I mean, now, I can I, tell because I can't see them. They can't. Correct. See me. That's what annoys the hell out of us. I know you're there, but now I can't even see what you're doing anymore. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Those were the questions I had. I mean, All I right. always wondered. I go. Well, there you Why go. Why is it bothering him? But yeah. that kind of explains it to me. There you go. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Alabama. Matt, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your uh, mind today? Got all kinds of things now. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's been a weird so, day. First off, I've been trying to pay attention to the trucks going the other way. Definitely white trucks. <laughs> the majority. Um, Probably as much as 40% of them. Wow. I mean, I haven't been keeping track right. in my head. And I would have to say blue is the number two. So oh, far. interesting. Well, then then I, maybe we could say red would be third, or we might be able to say that, you know, yep. but this is kind of cool. Sounds like the uh, trucking industry is pretty damn patriotic to me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like so, that. Uh, the next one, and uh, if the world's flat or not, if you are standing in a certain spot and walk due north one mile, turn 90 degrees, walk 
due west exactly one mile, turn 90 degrees, walk due south exactly one mile, and you're standing in the exact same spot you started. Where are you? The North Pole? Well, that'd be the South Pole. You start the South Pole. Walk north. Oh, that's right. We went yeah, north first. So the, I knew we had to be at a pole. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. That, so, that's right. And that's weird to try yep. to picture. Actually, yeah. The funny thing is, Elon Musk used to ask his um, managers when he was hiring. That would be one of his questions. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and admitting when you're wrong, um, I was wrong and you were right. So I looked up the taxes and, uh, Pennsylvania was the highest. I thought that. For some that, reason, yeah. I had them in my head backwards. Yeah. I, California it, was 72 and Pennsylvania was 74. I, I was thinking California was 74. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I it stuck with me because it was so odd. Before I knew and understand fuel tax and paid attention to all the rates, if somebody would have asked me who has the highest fuel tax, I would have never thought of Pennsylvania. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I guess I don't remember everything from way back, but they've always been on the higher end. But I, I remember, you know, the Northeast, New York. Right. Right. I remember with Connecticut or one of them used to always be really high, but you know they're <laughs> they've fallen down the list quite a bit. They have, yeah. You know, there was so. a time when I used to think Florida was high. I don't think it is much anymore either. So many no. other states have increased. And, you know that. And um, you know, for your reference, you still talk about the old days of comparing Georgia and Florida. Well, Georgia's come way up. There's only like a penny difference anymore. Oh, really? Georgia used to be like nine yeah. cents a gallon or something. Yeah, they're, I think Florida's 30, oh, 35, 36, and Georgia's 34. So, well, wow. Georgia yeah. will probably go higher because they just did a whole quarter where they suspended their tax. Okay. Yeah, so, so they'll have, have to make it up, up right. To make up the difference. <laughs> yeah. <Yep>. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, man. And that's, that's when they went way up was after 08. Yep. Because they did the same thing in a way. Yeah. They suspended their tax, lost billions of dollars, and then jacked their tax rate way up. Yeah. Boy, Florida so. had, probably hasn't increased theirs in a decade or more then. Yeah. So, um, trying to think what else I was going to say, but uh, <clears throat> hypermilers, fuel mileage, and uh, some of our crew, um, I'm going to try to up my mileage on Monday. I'm taking a trip down towards Milwaukee and spending a few days with Steve Crone. Oh, that's exciting. Gonna make some improvements on the trailer, around the axles, and then try to figure out something to close up the gap between my, or fill in the gap between the truck and the trailer. Awesome. Well, that's exciting. Tell Steve and his son I said yeah. hi. So, yeah, because he's, uh, Hopefully, push him into the into the aftermarket add-on. There sales you go. That's right. He's got his That's... prototypes, and he's working on production. So, well, I can I his, can uh, trailer diffuser. I can promise him if he ever wants to bring a product to market, I'd be more than happy to help him market it. 
Speaking of which, I just got um, a, uh, um, I just got my first invitation to speak in a long time. You know, last two years, all the events got canceled. And, and even prior to COVID, I had really kind of stopped accepting um, invitations to speak. I just didn't really want to, because most of the time I'm going to have to fly and it ties up a couple of days. And so I, I was really turning a lot of them down. Or when I got a request, I would just give them a crazy high price. And if they accepted it, then it was worth it. And I'd go do it. And most of the time they would just, you know, so I, I um, well, you probably know this because your wife has been the one that's been handling it all. Um, it's just somebody out of the blue. I don't even know anybody at this organization. Um, they're in the trucking industry, but it's not directly trucking related. They're like a third party service provider. Um, small event, only 100 people. That's not a very big event at all. And it's in Nashville. So I thought, oh, you know, that that few people, they're just not going to want to pay much. And do I really want to go to the East coast in November? And so I, I didn't just want to say no, um, because I haven't gotten an invitation in a couple of years. So I said, yeah, I'm just going to give them a crazy price. So I gave them a crazy price. And then their next answer was, I just thought they were just going to say no. Um, but their next answer is, oh, well, actually we have two events and they're a couple days apart. What would be your price for two of them? So obviously they're willing to pay this. So I guess I'm going to go do it. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly give them a break yeah, on the I, second one though. You know, yeah, I, you know, like John has said, you know, the, the business side of things and spending money has not slowed down yet. It's certainly so. not. They didn't even balk at this price. And it, it's not a, I mean, I've charged this many times for speaking before, but for a hundred people, this is a small event to spend that much on a speaker, but it looks like they're willing to. So I guess I may be doing both of them. Yeah. Oh, one more thing right. we could well, talk about. Yeah, I, now, hold on. Don't go. Cause sure. you sent this to me. The, um, the authorities. Oh yeah. The, the numbers on authority. Yeah. So yeah, the, the actual company is it? Uh, and I always get the letters backwards. FRT or is it FTR? FTR. Right. Yeah. FTR. FTR. Yeah. They're the one that actually puts the information together. But you go to their website, they don't have articles published. It's somebody yeah. else will publish using their data. Yeah, you know, actually, oh, yeah, the, um, this was all put together and written by Avery Vice. Um, Avery Vice is uh, over at FTR now. Um, I know Avery from, my God, a couple decades ago when I used to write for, was it CCJ? I think it was when I was writing. He's always, he used to be a part of Randall. Randall has Overdrive and CCJ and a bunch of other magazines. Um, but I'm pretty sure I was writing a column for CCJ and he was my editor years ago. So I could probably reach out to him. He's the one that put all this together. Um, kind of some interesting numbers here. So let's just go through this. It says um, net revocations of trucking authorities. So I'm pretty sure what they're saying is we had this many new authorities issued, but we had this many revoked. And here's the net did we gain trucking companies or did we lose trucking companies? So I think they're giving us a ratio. They're, they're giving us both. So it says net revocations of trucking authority totaled more than 6,300 in June. 
That's the number we were looking for, June. Now, it says, which is the most ever recorded, except for the nearly 9,300 we just had in May. But they think that 4,000 of the June, um, or no, the May numbers, they think the May May, numbers were artificially high because they changed some requirement that you had to have a process agent in every state. And I guess we have a shortage of process agents. So companies lost their authority because they didn't have process agents. Is that what I'm understanding from this? Uh, the way I understood it is it's basically companies that have stopped reporting, so they're figuring they're out of business, okay. never officially filed that they've, they've ceased operations. So that, that 4,000 number is, you know, they changed the color of it on the graph, and, you know, it's a question mark right now. Okay. Because, so yeah, they don't have enough agents to go verify if they've actually ceased operations or not. So we could we could throw out May and say it's kind of an outlier. We're not really sure why it was that high. And if we throw out May, then June is the record. Uh, we've never had, you know, yep. numbers that bad. But we're still also adding 3,000 that, new ones a month. That's another crazy thing. That seems like an awful lot of new authorities to me. Who are these people? Well... It's hard to say for June, but now they expect July could actually jump because of California. Right. That makes sense. If we see new authority go up now, that would make sense that California, I mean, the number I've seen is there are roughly 70,000 leased owner operators in California. Oh, and yeah, so you talked about the possible protests at the ports with yes. drivers. Yeah. And um, one other disruption that's possibly on the horizon here, uh, the railroad. Oh, talking I, about striking. I have a note here. I, like I said, I had so many notes and they're all <laughs> over the place. I wasn't even very organized today. I was jumping all over. But I have a note about that one. That's right. They, the um, railroads are talking yep. about striking. Yeah. What a mess. You know, every, like you say, every every new headline or whatever, you start to think about the book. The book. Uh, you know, the, uh, it's making, the the world is, it's <laughs> making me crazy yeah, all of a sudden. I'm reading the headlines going, look, he said that's going to happen. Look, this is what he said was going to happen. Uh, it's making me a little crazy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, we didn't talk yesterday that, this is something I read about years ago. Um, the population and the the ratio of repopulating has been shrinking and shrinking in developed countries, and especially with China, with their one-child right. policy back in the seventies and eighties, right. that they are in a world of hurt on their population because it's aging, and they don't have young people coming in to replace no anybody retiring and, and you can't turn that around quickly no yeah that's uh it, it's so. you know the other thing that 
Well, I guess it really doesn't surprise me because I've always kind of thought this too. Again, we have, you know, such amazing geography here in our country. The claim in the book was we could double our population and it wouldn't be a problem. (laughs) Well, this is all of us that have complained about population growth and urban sprawl and all that. The United States is still one of the least populated countries by acreage or right. square mile or however you want to measure it. Yeah, we have it's, so much room still for people. It's not even you know, funny. Like, like the heat claims you could double the population and if it were done correctly, you know, with some planning and some forethought and that it that wouldn't be a bad thing at all. It would probably be a good thing. No. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be for it. I'm, I'm the type of person that would rather own at least a thousand acres if I could. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm the same way. If they want to double the population, I need to go find some something more remote than I've got now. Um, but it, it's, you yep. know, it, it's an interesting thought because, like I said, it seems to me my whole lifetime we've been told the problem is there's too many people. And, yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing I got out of the book is we've been talking, you know, uh, population growth and overpopulated and, how far is it going to go? You know, what is the real number that the planet can handle? And now he's talking about the population starting to fall. Exactly. Over the next generation. Right. And and it's going to be a problem. So, yeah. You know, the, the, so I guess, the analogy. I guess their own problem there. Yeah. And the analogy, I think he uses it at the beginning of the book, is farm families. When we had a lot of people who lived on farms, they had big families. They only did it for one reason. Yep. They needed more labor. Yeah, and I can't remember years ago I read this, and, you know, this gets on the ethnic side of things, but um, I believe it's the Muslims are still have the largest families. They're the only population that's still growing. Um, what about the Mormons? Uh, that one I don't know. That'd be an interesting That's one. And I, 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 yeah, I have yeah, a, a, a lot of friends, business association associates, and they all have big families. I mean, they have families yeah, cool, like what like I was used to growing up in the '60s and '70s. I'm the youngest of seven, so you know, I kind of consider myself coming from a big family, but. Um, you know, the Mormons are still really big on family. I would think that uh, they would have some good numbers. Yeah, and I heard a bunch. Oh, that was Ted Topple's book. Um, the one about the, the electric, electric grid. grid. Yeah. But he, yeah, he talked, you know, about <laughs> the, uh, the Mormons and they've got all their own food storage. And I mean, it's. Oh, that that group is is very well prepared. Do you realize they they own a very, very large trucking company? I did not know that. Very large. Yeah, Yeah, very large trucking company. Yeah, and food stores and uh, almost all the companies that make a lot of the emergency food, dehydrated food, freeze-dried food, a lot of those are Mormon companies. I mean, they're really big into that. And in a really good way, Aaron... uh, Aaron just sent over, he was listening, he said, uh, 
that's just because they like making babies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know of any culture that doesn't like the process of making the babies. It's the, it's the raising of them that <laughs> uh, right. people are yeah. away from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, we, uh, as a country, we could take a lot of lessons and guidance from the Mormons and the way they function and operate, and they've got a lot of things right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and they say that his interviews there that he did, uh, like you say, Ted Koppel there, it's uh, very impressive on how they teach preparedness and all that. I mean, a lot of different religions do, I believe, you know, even the the tithing of giving away 10% and all that and always having stuff stored away and living on less than you make. You know, I think that, you know, I think the difference... Back. Yeah, you're right. Almost every religion has those same kind of tenets, and they, and they always have. Most of them, though, they don't translate out to the real world. You know, you, you don't no. see, even though it's in the religion, you, you don't, I mean, you look at Catholics or Baptists or whoever, and you might be finding those things in their religion, but they're not practicing them. The Mormons do. No. <laughs> I mean, they live this, with what they, they live that. That's... You know, we could learn a lot from them. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, like they say, you know, some religions, it's, it's just hypocrisy because it's <laughs> do as I say, not yeah, as they do. Yeah, that that's not the case <laughs> they here. They talk about it right. on Sunday and then the rest of the week they live a different lifestyle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah, the Mormons are very family-oriented and, the, you yeah, know, two things. It seems like they're, they're much more organized. They're they're very family-oriented. Or, or, oriented and they are very personal responsibility oriented and and if we could just do those two things more in our country it would fix an awful lot of things we need to start having babies again a little late for me but uh Uh, yeah we'll we'll stick to grandkids (laughs) there you go all right. All right. Good stuff. I got to cut you loose. The calls just keep rolling in. What did everybody wait till Friday this week? Let's uh, let's go to Iowa. Brandy, welcome to the program. Hey, hey, Brandy. Brandy. Yeah. Since it's a freaky yeah. Friday, I think I'm going to call you cognac today instead. Okay. Hopefully I can uh, remember that. Um, when you speak, uh, do, do you know why? Don't, don't you want to know why? No. You don't want to no. know why? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, I know. I'm sorry. My brain wasn't. Yes, I'm uh, alcohol. Yes. Yeah, but here, so here's the thing cognac can only be called cognac if it comes from a specific region of France. But brandy and cognac are technically okay. identical. They're made the same way. Similar to technically, you shouldn't be able to buy anything called champagne unless it comes from the champagne region of France. Everything else should be called sparkling wine. But, and most of the world kind of accepts that, except the Americans. 
we're, we're just too arrogant. If we want to call it cognac and champagne, we do. Yeah. Okay. Just a little well, weird a little trivia for a freaky on the, Friday. On the, on yeah. the punch there. But okay. Um, so, like I said, I was up in uh, southeast Minnesota, northeast Iowa, and I was looking at the Amish uh, gardens and farms, and this is really what sparked the, the question. So, uh, uh, Congo, or as well as Sri Lanka, they used to be really uh, wealthy nations. And then they adopted the green policies. And what I've been hearing is it's the fertilizers that have basically made their production of food uh, where their people are starving. And now they want to do this to our country. So in the question of fertilizers, is what the government wants to do and the people starving, is that necessary? Or is it because we really do need those fertilizers? grow things organically there's no easy answer to this question now first off when you're talking about the fertilizers they're using that's what makes the farming non-organic it's the fertilizers that started the problem so um let me get my thoughts together on this. I'm gonna, I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna mute you for a second. I'm getting a lot of background noise again, but you're still on the line. I'm gonna come back to you, but while I get this thought out, so when we use those big three, what is it? NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus. Uh, I forget the other one. I think it's the the big three. Um, those are what we kind of call chemical fertilizers. The problem starts there. When you use those fertilizers, plants grow really well. They'll, they'll get bigger. They'll get greener. If you manage it all right, they'll put out more produce. No doubt about that. But it destroys the immune system of the plant. Even though that plant looks big and green and healthy and it's producing, it is a very weak plant. It won't hold up to insects well. It won't hold up to weeds well. Everything will affect that. It has a very weak immune system. When you grow plants naturally with compost and natural fertilizers. So now let's go back. You use those chemical fertilizers, which do grow more food. There's no doubt about it. They grow more food. They weaken the plant horribly. So now, on top of the chemical fertilizers we used, we now have to use chemical pesticides, chemical insecticides, chemical herbicides, chemical everything to keep the plant alive. And then we have to genetically modify it so that it can handle Roundup because the weeds are so bad now. And we have Roundup-resistant weeds, and we have to keep putting more and more Roundup on them. There are so many downsides to this way of farming. It destroys the soil. The runoff of all these chemicals is destroying our oceans. So this is a really bad way to farm. It is not good for our environment. I get that. And I do want a good, clean, healthy, natural environment. So I am actually for this part of the Green New Deal, but not the way they're attempting to do it. They're going to screw this up bad. 
We need to have a very slow, well-planned transition to going back to true, natural, regenerative farming. We can't just put these stupid regulations in place that, that expect farms to change overnight. It takes three years to become organic. And in those three years, you have horrible yields. Your costs go through the roof. Your revenue goes way down. Most farms cannot afford to do this. Not without a really good plan. So the two countries you're talking about, they have destroyed their entire economies. Those people are starving. They're rioting. Um, I just had Matt on, and those are some of the things he was talking about in this book that those are the kind of things that are already starting to happen that are part of this transition. Those countries have destroyed their economy by trying to go to green agriculture too quickly without a plan. Hello? Yes, you're there. Okay, Okay, um, so uh, yeah, I agree, uh, which is where that uh, came from, from the book. One thing I noticed about the book, so I'm now we're in the section where he's talking about the, de- the dimensions of the containers, basically that's just to tell you where I'm at. I've got 12 hours to go, so okay. I'll finish that this weekend. But one of the things I noticed was that um, he said he tried to get the book out in time, and it just as the, the Ukraine war started. So he doesn't have the information of the events that have happened between now and then. So in those days, I know it sounds weird, is that things were a little bit more calmer. Things were generally, and you have to well, wonder, and maybe he, that's just my He got this book out in, in June. That was only a month ago. June, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the book was released, uh, uh, printed, I guess, in February. Oh, yeah. He, he managed to get some updates in there. I mean, really, for a book, it, it's just about as updated as you're going to possibly get it. Um, oh, I, I agree. You know, I one of the things I, yeah. I, I actually wish this guy would start doing, um, uh, Alex Berenson did a really good job of this with this, this book called Pandemia. And what he did was he released like chapters at a time because he was self-publishing on Amazon and he was releasing like chapters at a time because he was talking about the pandemic, masks, lockdowns, vaccinations, and that, that information was changing every day. So that's how he wrote the book. He wrote some chapters, put them out as a booklet. You'd go download it, read it. Then he wrote a couple more chapters and another part. And that way, each time he could kind of update on what he had already put out. You know, in today's world with things changing like that, I'd really like to see this author kind of do that. Maybe follow up this book with, you know, short booklets every couple of months to keep us updated. Right. Um, and, uh, last thing back to Freaky Friday, uh, there, the earth is indeed round. I've, I've done skydiving twice in Hawaii. I have seen the curvature on a parachute. So and, it's round. Yeah. And the curvature is 360 degrees all goes the same way. So, you know, it's got to come back to the other side. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That's all I have. All right. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Um, hopefully... 
hopefully, for the most part, I think we've kind of dispelled the myth that the earth could be flat. I think we've accomplished that today. Let's go to Michigan. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? I have a, I have an oil sample for you. Mark, I don't know. An oil sample sounds a little ordinary and boring for a Freaky Friday. It is. It is. Yeah, <laughs> let, let, let's do it anyway, though. Let's let's do it anyway. But let's let's see if we can find I, anything fun I, in here. Um, yeah, not much. So we've got a D thirteen. What year? Uh, twenty one. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, turbo cut. It's a turbo a turbo compound yeah um i don't see anything at all in here that i would be concerned about uh, this looks like a really good sample i know they flag fuel dilution at 2.1 there's no fuel dilution at 2.1 you don't have to worry about that um you've got virtually no soot your wear metals are you know pretty darn low i don't see any dirt your dirt's really low uh base is holding up uh, this is just a really clean sample this engine is tuned well and you're driving it well oh yeah it's even when i pull out the dipstick it still looks clean I, I, yeah i can believe it this is a really clean sample yeah it, it's it hasn't burned any oil oh hey wait a minute age. i i just so, i just noticed something do you have a hun- almost 150,000 miles on this oil? Yeah. Holy cow. I- I'm thinking I'm looking. I just, I didn't look at the mileage. Everything else looks so good. I just assumed this was a 25,000 mile sample. This is really clean yeah. for a 25,000 mile sample. For a 150,000 mile sample, this is incredible. Yeah, I run a fleet air filter. That's. That was probably the first thing I put on the truck because the, the stock air filters, in my opinion, they just don't start to clean till they get dirty. So And then they start restricting. I, correct. Right. Yeah, they start holding back. Yeah. No, this is so, a yeah, just, this is a fantastic looking sample. Yep. It, it, even I, like I said, I pulled the dipstick out. Like, ah, there's no sense of uh, brown in there. It's not black. That's, yeah, at 150,000 miles. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Nice. It, it, yeah, this, uh, the turbo compound engines, they, they run very, very well. Well, this one runs very well. So, Well, I'm you know, here's, all, but, like, you know, and here's the other thing. Joel's been saying this for a while. This is pretty clear evidence of it. This is why when these trucks are specced right and driven right, they there are no emission problems because they're burning this clean. Yep. And it's, I do run an additive. It, it does help because the fuel in the U.S. or the North American market is crap. So gotta, <laughs> yeah, imagine you gotta that. Help it. You got to <laughs> yeah. help it. it yeah. You got to help it. But but also I run on this truck. I run a uh, a battery APU, but I run everything on lithium. So okay, and I'm one of the few fortunate ones. I'm the one the few fortunate ones, which I had Bergstrom that makes all the parking cooler. That's what Volvo calls it, a parking cooler. But they make it for Freightliner, Volvo, Kenworth. They make it for all the OEMs. But 
I was the first one to get lithiums put on by Bergstrom, you know. Oh, okay. So, so it's nice thing about it is when you have lithiums on here, the, the BTUs never go down because battery life never. Yeah. It's voltage goes down and there's the, the amps go up and then you get less efficiency on the compressor. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. We haven't talked so, much about that, but that is an advantage to lithium. Right. And I can get, I done it twice to see how far I can pull them down. I can get close to 27, 27 hours was right there. That's the most I can get. And that's with like 4% less of the battery. That 27 and hours, pretty impressive. A, yeah. I'm for 12 volts. Yeah, twelve volt system. Yeah, that's and, impressive. And, uh, what is coming? What that was told to me is that forty eight volts is what's going to. That's where it's going to go. Interesting. So the compressor, yeah. yes, the, because it's not about it's about the voltage. And the thing is, amps is what kills batteries. So they want to get the amps down, and then it'll basically a four hundred amp hour forty eight volt system probably run probably thirty eight thirty nine hour straight wow need a recharge that that will be impressive yeah that's um so looking forward to that well all the was that the two oems volvo and freightliner are going to 24 volts i think in two years so they're getting there so you just got to push them over the edge to 48 i think that's where they should be because 12 volts is just nothing but havoc yeah, it, it, on our trucks for years. well, and and look at all the electric tools. Every time somebody brings out a new tool, they're raising the voltage. Voltage just keeps going up yeah. on all of these electric tools. Yeah, voltage and amps, and they they want the thing is it's to, to get battery life. You got to get the amps down. So you got to. So the only way you can do that, you have to bring the voltage up. Yeah. So yeah, interesting so, stuff. Yeah, it's you know my uh, my sixty days is right at ten miles per gallon, so wow. I pull a lot of heavy loads. Wow, yeah, that um, is just incredible. And I also do a lot of testing for Steve Crone, so I already have. I've been testing some stuff now for six months on my trailer, so. Well, you know, you know what I really love about this group? You know, we have the nine plus mile per gallon. We've got you and Joel and um, Steve. And I mean, we could go on and on and on. Alex and uh, Alec. And there's just a lot of people really, really focused on this and producing incredible numbers. And you know what I go back to think about? I go back to, I don't remember what year this was, but it was one of the past years where fuel spiked up for a while. Walmart started their, you know, super truck program and Walmart made a claim. And we can tell you this was a while back because Walmart made the claim that they were going to have a 15 mile per gallon truck by 2015. I remember them making that claim. Where the hell did they go at all? I don't even see Walmart talking much about fuel economy anymore. And yet we've got this little group of, you know, individual owner operators pushing 10 plus now. Nobody else is doing that. Maybe yeah. maybe people like Messia Valley and a couple fleets out there doing it. But for the most part, you know, and NACV's helping people to try to get there. For the most part, that this group that we talk about 
these, these are the people putting out the best fuel economy in the entire country. It is. It's not just one thing. It's a multiple oh, things. It's a you lot just, of things, right? Not, right. Right. And it's not a, a matchup bill like you go get a Volvo with a DC <laughs> engine. That's going to make it. It, it, it. it gets you in the ballpark, but you still got a long way to go. That's right. Yeah. And, and, it, and, and like the, the people that you mentioned, we work at it because we are persistent. We enjoy doing what we do to make those numbers you know, it, it tends to be a a little competitive for all of us and we all make fun of each other oh <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely it's camaraderie and um but i do want to say that the proposal engine is if it's spec right you can pull heavy with no problem and you make double digits it's, it's phenomenal you know, I, I, I so it, really, and I, I, um, I'm getting another chance to go through, I think more Volvo training. The last training I did is fantastic. That's when I learned how important that engine design was and why the Volvo engine, I, we can make this claim, I believe is absolutely the best class eight engine on the market. And, and when you see the design and you understand it, then you see why, um, the next training I'm going to get to go through, I think is all driveline you know, understanding how to gear better yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. But there's no doubt this yeah. is the way a Class 8 engine should be designed. Right. And it's all about maintenance. And, you know, the biggest thing about emission trucks, I don't idle. It basically, if I can get, if it idles like for eight minutes, that's long. <laughs> so 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 I pull up, you know, I turn off that truck and I walk in, check in, go back out, start the truck up, back it in the dock, turn it off. This truck does not idle. And to understand what I do is I don't run one way light then run back the other way empty. I look, I'm always on a load, you know, 10 miles away, 30 miles, 60 miles, I'm always on a load. Yep. So my fuel economy is showing exactly what I'm running loaded all the time. Yeah, which is just incredible, so the, really. It is. It is. It, it is. And, it's, and, it, and going back to the mission stuff, it's like it's everything is about maintenance. And I think Joe has put uh, talked about it. There's a lot of things that have to be changed on an annual basis, and most people just don't do anything. And that's where they run trouble after the third or fourth year owning the truck. And then everybody has a problem because you, they never did any maintenance. You know, the other thing we have to think about, and I've been telling people about this for years. Um, typically, you know, we consider the new truck market. That's the fleet market. And when the fleet sell their trucks, that tends to be the owner operator market. Now, you also have the owner operators who always wanted to buy their own new premium truck. I get that. But th that was a really common thing. Owner operators buying a truck on the secondary market that probably came from a fleet. And the one thing I'm trying to tell them is you got to be really, really careful with that now. Because it is entirely possible to buy a Class 8 truck today, do almost no maintenance on it whatsoever, and get rid of it at about four or 500,000 miles, and you won't see any of the problems. The next buyer will, though. 
the next owner will have a nightmare on their hands. But the way trucks are built today, you could do 100,000 mile oil changes without a bypass filter. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but you could do it. And you're talking about maybe only doing four or five oil changes and then selling the truck at about a half million miles. You're not going to see any of those problems. No. So the, the next or third person will. Yeah. They'll so be, be sitting at the dealership. Yeah, this is one of those calls that I get, and I'm asking the person, what do you mean you're doing an in-frame at 800,000 miles? Why? Yeah, and, and my previous truck won 1.7 oh, million miles, and the valve cover never went, came off. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. had and I had oil samples went over three to four hundred thousand and I I was at um, Texas when Texas used to have a truck show down in Dallas. Oh yeah. And uh, and I gave Bruce go and I was talking to Bruce and he goes, Well, I had an oil sample. I think it had one point three on there. He goes, Oh, your iron will be up in the six hundred <laughs> I pull out the sheet and he I pull out the sheet and he goes 63? Yeah. And he goes, that's it? How many miles? Are-? He goes, 63 for the iron? I go, that's a misprint. He goes, no. <laughs> I go, if it's, maintain- if it's maintained right, he goes, that must be a one-off. I go, no, no. I got a lot of people. That, that's right. Yep. That's right. And, it, and he's like, God, no, nah, bubbles can't do that. yes they can all right mark great stuff thanks for the call man the calls just keep coming in uh we're gonna go to south carolina paul welcome to the program howdy what's on Uh, your mind today a little bit of trivia well few taxes but a little bit of trivia first i have a sister and a brother-in-law that have both been and spent the winter in antarctica at separate times, You're not allowed to go as a husband and wife. And if you skydive in New Zealand from Lake Taupo area, if you go to 15,000 feet before you bail out of the plane, you can see all the way across the country. And I'm pretty sure that it's still, even though it's down there on the bottom side, it's still rounded. Yeah, yep. yeah I was just going to say, Antarctica's right around the block from you guys. Yeah, we're the last field stop before Antarctica. That's right. Uh, Jimmy Buffett has that yeah. song, There's a Party at the End of the World. And he, uh, I think there's a line in there that uh, Antarctica is just around the block. In fact, that's where they had to go to get their ice for the party. There you go. So the, the fuel tax, the way it is now, I think it's unfair. Because I'll use your last caller as an example or Steve Crone. <laughs> if we do exactly the same route, if we're both 80,000 pounds, he's still going to get his 9.8 or 10 miles to the gallon, and I'm probably going to get my 5.3 or 5.4. So, I'm going to pay a whole lot more fuel tax for going exactly the same route you, as them. You are correct, but I can tell you this, we do appreciate it goes around comes around <laughs> <laughs> yeah i appreciate those guys yeah. getting lousy fuel mileage paying all the fuel tax for us that helps yeah yeah well uh so it's kind of unfair to me but it's the 
it's the route that I chose or, or the the type of truck that I want to drive that I chose. Well, but. It, well before we talk about on how unfair it is, we'd also have to talk about your revenues. You know, that might be a little unfair at times. The uh, prices uh, come uh, down a little bit uh, this uh, week. So. A little bit, yeah. Um, <sighs> well, in, instead, of, instead, of, instead of going to Oklahoma from Georgia for so, 6400 this week, I'm probably only going to go for 58 Yeah, Yeah, um, which... At, you know, most years, 58 would have looked awesome. Now it just, you know, doesn't feel quite yeah. so good because you're coming back down to it. What um, what really happened, I kind of sort of remember, but um, what happened with car hauling back in 08? How bad did it get hit? Well, I went to New Zealand in February of 08, and when I came back a month later, the fuel had gone up a dollar a gallon, and I made my last truck payment in April of 08 and I, I was still a up until then I was I thought you were full of it with the <laughs> slowing down to make more money so I was I was still out in the left lane but then all of a sudden when they did that cash for clunkers you know lots of cars were moving then and oh, you'd show that, up at the dealership that's right yeah, I forgot like, all how about many, that how many yeah, well, how many cars am I getting? Oh, you're getting five. Well, who's getting the others? Oh, the guy up the road. Oh, hell, I want them all. I want them all. Well, then when the cash for clunkers finished and they turned that switch off, you'd show up at the dealer and it's like, how many of them am I getting? Oh, you're getting five. Oh, I don't want any because they couldn't sell them. But I just, that's when I started slowing down. I went from 75 to 60 real quick. There you go. And it, it probably saved me a whole lot of money that year and that's when I realized that oh this actually does save money on fuel which is what kept me in business I think so um, uh, let me ask you this I forgot about the whole cash for clunkers thing I that was interesting what about the repo market when more cars are getting repo do you end up moving those at any point uh I, I do very little use stuff at all okay so. Do you know is that is that does the does that affect the trucking side of cars or are they just more moved around locally? Uh, I don't I don't really know. But when the repo man cometh, he come to get your car. It's gone. <laughs> so if you're not yeah. if you're not because I yeah. I remember one time I was in a Walmart parking lot. I slept there overnight, and my next morning my truck wouldn't start, and so damn it, and uh. I, I was getting ready to call a repair shop, come out and jumpstart me. And uh, a guy in a um, F450 snatch and go pickup truck, <laughs> he come through. Well, he was he was looking for a car. He was ready to get it. And the people came out from Walmart and hopped in it. And he said, I'm not allowed to take it if they're, if they're hopping in it. He said, or so, in it. he said, I'm not allowed to take it. So when I was growing up, I... So he uh, gave me a jumpstart. Yeah. There you go. I uh, I started painting yep. cars when I was around 16. Um, and yep. my next door neighbor actually was a repo man. And one day he walks over. I'm in the garage. I was working on a car, getting it ready to paint. He walks over and he says, do you have any experience fixing bullet holes in a car? <laughs> I said, <laughs> no, that would be a new one, but I think I could figure it out. Yeah, he got shot at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I could believe it. Yeah. So. Yeah, he, yeah, he, had, he I, always I, had mostly, good stories. Yeah. 
you know, mostly I just do all new stuff, very little new stuff at all. So Got I it. did a, I did an auction load last week, but my, that's been the first one in a long time. So my guess yeah. is we are going to see repossessions explode here soon. Yeah, well, there was. If you can walk into the dealership and you're alive enough to, yeah, that's right. Uh, fill out the application right. and sign it. You pretty much they let you drive it away. They don't. Exactly. You know, for the next eighty-four months. Exactly, yeah. and the prices that people were paying for these cars for the, even the last couple of years—I don't even mean just the big run-up recently—but it has become like really common for everyday people spending thirty and forty thousand dollars on a car. Right? And we're just yeah. going to see a huge slate of repos coming. I think. Yeah, well, I just bought me a brand new used car, a <laughs> Kia Stinger, but uh, I got a, my, because I've listened to you, I was quite impressed with my credit score. They told me I was at 863. Well, last time I checked, I was at 706, which was a couple of years ago. Awesome. And so I got a re- real good interest rate and I've put down a good deposit and my payment is low and the insurance is low and I'm happy. And there you go. Keep on riding around. So. There you go. Yeah, so. Good stuff. All right. We're going to keep rolling here. We're going to head off to Wyoming. Tom, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. What's on your mind today? Uh, well, a couple little things. I, I wanted to talk about my business, but before we get to that, I wanted to mention uh, the whole thing about the red trucks. The guy had mentioned that he drove a red truck, and it's been uh, talked about many times. You know, you, bu- you buy a car, you buy a Camaro, and then you <laughs> see right. nothing but Camaros on the road. I think it's all psychological. You know, and that that is true. That is a phenomenon. We know it happens. You buy something, and then you notice that thing everywhere, cars being, you know, one of the more common the the one time that did not happen to me at all is the last vehicle I bought. The, the last vehicle I bought may be one of the most unpopular vehicles in the country. I've had it like four years. I don't think I've seen, I think I've seen maybe three others. They're talking about your FJ? No, the, I have a Range Rover Velar. Oh. And they, they actually okay. just brought the Velar back in 2018. The Velar was actually one of the very first vehicles that Range Rover ever built, or Land Rover, a long time ago. And they brought the name back in 2018, and I bought one. Uh, and I, I thought it would be that same thing. I'm going to start seeing these things everywhere. Nobody else bought one. Not sure why, but there's just not many of them around. Well, hopefully the reason why isn't anything bad. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I have that weird little battery issue that kind of makes me crazy. Batteries only last about a year in this thing. Um, The battery is too small for all the electronics they put into this. It's got, you know, multiple screens and heated seats and steering wheels and windshields. And it's just so much power draw that I I replace the battery about once a year. You know, I had that same issue in an old 90s Audi that I had. I bought a second battery, an Optima yellow top, and I wired it up in parallel and put it in the trunk. And I I never had that problem again. You know, I've thought about that. I just can't find any place to put another battery. It's that bad. Your SUV is not big enough. 
it, it's just not. I mean, it, it's there, and, and they there's just no space left anywhere to put anything on it. So I'll just deal with replacing a battery once a year. I, I you know, it's quirky. Um, British cars are always quirky, so it's a little weird that way. But I, I love it. I mean, it's it's been one of my favorite vehicles. So uh, I don't know why they didn't sell all that well, but uh, I like mine. So. Yep. Uh, next topic. Uh, I, I'm about. I'm a little over halfway through that book, and I, it's it, it's difficult for me because I think he is just full of hot air. I think it's all BS. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> it might be. In fact, it seems like the odds are much higher that none of this is ever going to come true. I, I feel like his entire premise is it, everything he's predicting. It's, relies on the Americans just stop giving a shit about the rest of the world, pulling back everything and giving everybody the middle finger and our, our economy. And, you know, he goes into, you know, assembly lines and production production lines and you know, where all these parts come from. We are so dependent on imports. Like we, we couldn't afford to just tell the rest of the world to kick rocks. Well, I don't know. I, I didn't get that impression that he thought it was going to be, you know, kind of initiated by the Americans. I got the impression that it was just the logical conclusion of each as countries start to run out of these younger workers. I mean, I kept bringing it back to this population thing and, you know, ever these countries are aging out. We don't have these younger workers to fill these roles and like I said, the news, I'm starting to notice these things in the news. This country's not producing this anymore. So I got the feeling that it wasn't like us saying, oh, screw everybody. We're just going to do our own thing. Um, although that's what the libertarians well, would like. I mean, that's kind of a libertarian philosophy I, I, is we need to stop worrying <laughs> about the rest of the world all the time till we get our own shit together. But I got the impression that it was just going to kind of happen and we were all going to have to deal with it. Well. Well, the first half, I mean, like I said, I'm only a little over halfway, so it may evolve into something else into the second half of the book, but he references uh, Bretton Woods and us, you know, keeping the ocean waves safe for everybody, and he keeps on premising everything with, okay, well, if we're not going to keep these trade routes safe anymore, that's going to cause a lot of this collapse. That. I, I think I mentioned that. I, I'm waiting for other people to finish the book and see if I missed something. It seems to me like I kept waiting for when he was going to give us a better idea of what was going to trigger that. He never does. Not not that I caught. I, so if you think you're going to get some clear answer to that by the end of the book, I don't think you're going to. It, it, I was That was the one disappointment at the end. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. A lot of that made sense, but I don't ever remember him kind of saying when and how this is actually going to occur. Yeah, because he, he, there was a, one section I remember specifically uh, he, he said, you know, if the waterways aren't safe anymore, then these big slow-moving mo- barges, they're, they're going to be a thing of the past because they're going to be raided by pirates. And I'm like, yeah, we're never going to stop policing the world. That's too much an American thing these days. <laughs> 
Well, never say never, but I, I'm with you. It, it's, well, it, there are so many assumptions he's making. And if any of those bigger assumptions don't happen, then the, his whole premise just falls apart. So I'm kind of with you. I, I don't really believe it's going to happen. Um, it's a really interesting read. I learned a lot about our global supply chain. I actually loved the book. And honestly, um, he should really think about making it into a really good novel because I think there's a good story there. Oh, yeah, for for sure, for sure. And I, I mean, the other thing is, like, we've got such a problem with overpopulation, in my opinion. Like, I think it's good if we're slowing down making yeah, babies. Yeah, see, you that, know, I think, we'll, I that, think we'll adapt. That's the one thing that I've, I think I've changed my mind on. I used to believe that too, that overpopulation was such a problem. I, now I'm, I'm more in the camp of human capital is the most important thing we have. Uh, you need to get back in a truck and drive through Chicago rush hour. And oh, tell me that there's not too many people on the road. No, no look, I, I clearly said we could double our population if we do it correctly. And we have not done it correctly up until this point. I don't like the idea of a, gazillion people living on top of each other there is no way that's why i'm out in the country and my next real estate purchase is going to be even more remote and more acreage so i can get even further away so i get it i don't i hate cities and congestion and traffic and all that but when you look at you know the mormon example the farm example um and in countries that struggle many times they struggle because they don't have enough human capital the other thing though it's not just the total number it's the balance we have too many old people we don't have enough young people that that's where the real problem is going to come in uh for a generation or two, yes. Well, he, but then it'll balance back out again. Yeah, you probably haven't got to this point in the book. He does give us a, a timeline. And basically, he's saying that this is going to be a problem through the 20s right now. It's already starting. And it will occur during the 20s and 30s. By about 2040, this is probably going to work itself out, according to him. Gotcha. Well, before we get too deep in the weeds on that, and I'm in Wyoming, so my signal might peter out at some point, I'd like to get to my business. I believe Angie sent you over uh, my business report. Yep, I've got it here in front of me. So a, a little background. Uh, I, I, I got your program, uh, Stop Holding the Steering Wheel, and I listened to that on audio oh, a year and a half ago uh, when I was a company driver, and I was determined I wanted to be an owner-op. Ever since I started driving truck, I wanted to be an owner-op, but wanted to do company driving, make sure I liked the industry before Good. I bought my own truck. Well, last year, I started shopping for a truck, and as you well know, <laughs> last year was a bad time to buy a truck. <laughs> it was the worst ever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 But my, the company I was driving for were going through some management changes. I did not like where it was going and I did not want to go and jump to another trucking company as a W2 driver. So I was shopping anyways. Okay. Well, a good friend of mine, a uh, good friend of mine owns a farm and has his authority and he runs a small trucking company, you know, mainly supports the farm, but there's like, he's got 12 trucks running in support of his farm. And uh, he's like, well, if you get a truck, you can come drive under my authority. And it's an 80-20 split, so it looked pretty pretty tempting. And he provides a trailer. So I could not, for the life of me, find a decent deal on a truck. 
Yeah, um, I'm not surprised. Then, then one of he had a stock order. He he buys uh, one or two new trucks every year, and uh, he had this new truck that was showing up. But the driver that he had to put in it broke his back and was no longer going to be a driver. And so he's he was going to just tell the dealership to to you know give his order away. And I'm like, well, wait a minute send me the specs on this truck, maybe maybe this will work out for me. Long story short, I ended up taking over his order, so I ended up in a brand new truck, which wasn't my original plan, but it was specced out almost exactly how I would if I was buying a new truck. So okay. uh, instead of putting his name on the finances and all of that, we just put my name on the loan, and I ended up in a brand new truck at a relatively decent interest rate. So, okay. And then uh, I started in January and you're looking at my business report ever since. I think I'm doing pretty good in the current economy, but uh, you're doing you awesome. see a lot of these and I'd like your opinion. No, you're, you're doing awesome. You really are. Yeah. Um, and you know, I can look at some of these numbers and say, oh, well, you could have done better here. You could have done better there. But overall, looking at these numbers for the short amount of time that you're in, you bought a new truck, which I'm usually not wild about for a first time buyer, but you know, you did it. You got a good deal. I understand why you did it and it's working. Your, your numbers are looking good, and I think you're set up well to go into a down economy, which is even more important right now. So I'm not wild about buying a new truck for that first truck, but occasionally it works out, and this might be one of those cases. Yeah, I, now, I, I wasn't, let's, wasn't uh, too let, thrilled. But. Let's talk about uh, one thing I see here. Um, tell me about your operation. What kind of trailer, what kind of freight, what part of the country? All right, so I, I drive the lower 48, um, and I pull reefer. And uh, most of my loads are between 75 and 80 gross. Heavy, uh, yeah. But I do have, every other week, I do have a one dedicated run that's only like 9,000 pounds. Um, but that's, so, that's every other week I get that one. So, so what kind of fuel economy are you getting? So my 60-day my, uh, average is 8.63. Okay. And I, I just got the Pittsburgh power tune, uh, put in my truck a uh, day before yesterday. So I'm, uh, and I just put a flow below on the truck last week. So excellent. the jury's out on uh, where okay. my fuel economy is going to go from excellent. there. Well, your fuel economy is excellent. The reason I asked for it, your fuel cost is a little higher than I thought it should be, but I think it's just where you're running and where you're buying the fuel because you're, you're, um, your fuel mileage is excellent. Sounds like it's even going to get a little bit better. So, I, you know, congratulations for starting up in a really, really tough um, environment. I think you did fantastic. Yeah, the first couple months of operation, you know, fuel was still down near $3 a gallon. But now <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, paying, uh, I think my average cost is around five fifty a gallon in a lot of places that I run because I do a lot of, a lot of Northeast Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, and, and it's, it's expensive, just, it, it's expensive fuel. We one of the reasons we know why you just mentioned Pennsylvania because their damn fuel tax is so high. Yep, yep. I spent a lot of time up there because we got a dedicated customer that comes from Pennsylvania back to Oregon, and uh, so and we got to keep that one happy because that's my best paying load I got. There you go. So whenever I'm out, I try to stay up in that area because, well, we all know the trucking industry is so you know, canceled loads and yeah. brokers lying to you and stuff like that. So I try to stay in the area so I don't lose that contract. Good. Good. Now I, I congratulations. So, uh, I think you've done an awesome job. Yeah. Uh, alrighty. So, uh, 
yeah, I don't have anything to compare it to. So I was yeah, I do look at a lot of these uh, business reports. Yeah. And, I have, have lots of them to compare it to. And I, I very seldom see somebody in their first year doing these kind of numbers. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I'll take that as a, a big compliment. Um, yep. Yeah. My, Just, my maintenance cost looks a little, little high because I've been doing a lot of upgrades to the truck in the last, uh, that, that's kind of what I figured. Months. Yeah. It's kind of what I figured. You mentioned the upgrades and, and those upgrades are already paying themselves back and more. So those are good investments and that, you know, I, the numbers are one thing, but I've looked at enough of these that I've done this long enough that, that I can read between the lines. You know, I, I might get somebody who calls me, you know, Monday, their numbers are similar to yours and I might, it might tell a totally different story. So it's not always the raw numbers, kind of how you look at them and how you interpret them. Well, here's one example. If somebody called me and gave me these same numbers and they'd been in business 10 years, I wouldn't be nearly as impressed. They'd be the same numbers, but after 10 years, you haven't been able to improve this any? That, that would be my thought there. So when I'm looking at somebody so new in the business, a brand new truck, which is challenging, a very challenging environment, and you're putting out numbers like this, that impresses me. Gotcha. Yeah, my after my at my first quarter, I thought I was going to be rich. I thought I just hit the lottery. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fuel prices yeah. spiked, yeah. and the freight rates tanked. And I'm like, what I do know. you mean we can't find anything above two dollars a mile? Like, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's just a crazy time. I mean, we had a good long run, and and it we really peaked way up at crazy numbers. And and now, like I've said many times, the party's over. We, we got to dig deep, work a little harder, sacrifice a few things. But, but you've put yourself in a good position to make it through this. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I can't wait for freight rates to rebound. They're so horrible right now. But on the other hand... Uh, I'm still making almost double of what I was making as a company driver. So that's excellent. Uh, yeah, you know the freight, there's a there's a lot of room for freight rates to drop further before uh, I'm they 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 it. probably will. But that's why I mean that's what I said. You're you've put yourself in a good position. So congratulations. All right, I'm gonna grab another call here. Might be our last. Let's go to Arizona. Randall, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Nice to talk to you again. What's on your mind today? Well, first, thank you. Uh, I called about a month ago with advice on tire pressures coming into summer. And for the past month, um, I've been dodging gators left, right, and center. <laughs> probably every shift I drive, yeah. I see two or three trucks off the side of the road with a repair guy changing a tire. Um, so I run my drives at 100 PSI. And my steer's at 115, which is as high as the uh, Love's pumps can go. Right. And uh, I've got 30,000 miles now. I cruise. I'm a company guy, so I don't care about the fuel. I cruise 68, and I'm still getting 8.3 miles per gallon. And I think the tire pressure uh, had a big part to do in that. Excellent. Yeah, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, The other thing, too, thank you. Um, The reason I called is because the earth is not round. It's not? I thought we had proven no, that No, it's today. actually what's called by a... No, it's actually an oblate spheroid. An oblate spheroid. Yeah, because spheroid. once you get down to the crust, yes. So it's like um, like a racquetball. When you squeeze it on the top and the bottom, it's a little bit wider to the left and right or east and west oh. because we're spinning. 
and the interior of the planet, you know, once you get down past the crust, all the rocks, the minerals, the nickel and iron, you know, the core, it's all molten. So we're basically on this little crust on top of all this spinning liquid. And, you know, what happens when you spin something like that? It We're a little bit wider to the east and west um, than the circumference is to the north and south. So if you're what you're telling me is if I decide to test my theory that I talked about earlier, if I just start walking in any direction, I'll end up back where I was. If I want to make the trip shorter, I should start walking either north or south. Yes. Yeah. And with that example, if you walk the east-west circumference of the Earth is right around 25,000 miles. It's a little bit less north to south. So if you're only walking a mile... uh, I mean, we're, we're humans. Our perceptions are limited. <laughs> so you're not really going to see anything that we can measure easily. Right, right. Now, that's interesting. I could see that. But Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the Earth is not flat, um, but it's not a sphere. You know, you get to planets with higher gravity like Jupiter or Neptune. They're a lot closer to round than we are. Hmm. Okay. I learned something today. Thank you. I, I guess that uh, astronomy course I took all those years ago in school paid off it in some small way. That's right. That's right. The The only thing I knew about all that kind of stuff is I'm a Taurus. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm right next to you. I'm a Scorpio. <laughs> no, there or you what go. that's worth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, whoever came up with all that crap. Uh, anyway, Randall, thanks uh, for that. I appreciate it. We are going to wrap it up today. We are all done that was a fun Friday. Um, you know, and I, John and Joel weren't able to join me for the first time in a while. So um, I didn't know how today was going to go. I had a ton of weird notes, but uh, the calls were awesome today. Time to uh, head into the weekend. We will see you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.